Mark 5, 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him on the, out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often bound with shackles, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he had always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim it in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today, God. And as we look into your scripture, God, I pray that you will allow us to realize uh, what an incredible, great, and holy God that you are that we worship and what a major act of grace that you sent Jesus to be our Savior and our Lord. And I pray that today that this corporate worship time will be a reminder to us of the deceitfulness of the devil, the flesh, and the world. And God, you'll draw us back to yourself. Thank you for this church body and just the constant faithfulness week after week, just so we can remind each other and encourage each other what really matters in this world and what matters in this life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, definitely one of the more interesting passages of Scripture when you say, I don't know if you grew up in church, I did, and this was a very interesting passage. Uh, hearing as a kid, your imagination goes wild. And, uh, you know, you think, whoa, man, th this guy had this incredible strength and did all these things, uh, pretty remarkable. And it's easy to dismiss Satan. It's easy to dismiss demons as something that, you know, superstitious that was believed back in the times of Jesus when people weren't quite as smart as we are today. And as we're moved on and we're modern and we understand more of life, and so this, this stuff is just silliness. And many people have that opinion, even people who attend church on Sundays. They think that this is pretty much superstitious and not really true. 
Um, some years ago, I was meeting with a student in my youth ministry who had really displayed some really extreme deviant behavior over the last few years, and he, his parents wanted him to come see me. He wanted to come see me, and this was a more than just somebody who was just dabbling in a, a few things that oftentimes we see teenage boys hap, happen to teenage boys. This was really some dark stuff, and as I talked to him week after week, um, it was evident that there was some really, really strong stuff in his background that had happened, stuff that he had participated in that had really affected his mind in a great way. And uh, we can't know for sure who's a believer, who's not a believer, someone can profess Christ, but we don't, we don't know that. Only God and them know their heart. But I wanted to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. I felt like that his heart was in the right place. He wanted help, but he was definitely um, coming up against things that from his past that seemed to really be blocking him from being able to experience the joy of Christ and really enjoy his relation with God. And, and so we, I, I kind of prepped him, and if you've been around here, I've told this story before, I prepped him that the next week, because he felt uncomfortable just talking to me about uh, some of the things that happened. And so I said, why don't you do this? Why don't you just you pray and confess these things to God? Not that you need me here you know, as your mediator or anything, but Oftentimes when you talk about something like this and you confess and get it out there that sometimes it's really encouraging. It can, it can really, really help you as you deal with the guilt of the things that have happened in your past. And so the next week he came in and we began to pray and he prayed and he asked God and confessed specific things throughout his life. And I will be honest with you, I was a little shocked by some of the things that he did confess during that time. But I say that to say this, that something incredible happened that day. And some people would call it deliverance and say, you know, God delivered him from this evil spirit or whatever. Well, the truth is he continued and to this day continues to struggle with sin, just like all of us can struggle with sin. But something great happened on that day. He did experience a freedom from the things that had been holding him back and really zapping the joy out of his life and bringing a lot of guilt into his life. And I say that to say, as we look in this passage of Mark 5, 1 through 20, that this church, our elders, myself, I fully affirm the biblical reality of Satan and demonic powers that are still active today. That still is the case. I like what Pastor Chip Ingram says. He says the existence of the devil is so clearly taught in the Bible that to doubt it is to doubt the Bible itself. And so we cannot doubt the fact that Satan and demonic forces are real and they wreak havoc on our world. But as I even affirm that, I also want to caution us also that some people can be, have an incredibly unhealthy fascination with demons, the dark side, the devil, spiritual warfare, and so on. And while we definitely affirm spiritual warfare, in fact, we have a class going on right now about spiritual warfare, and I encourage you to jump in before that class ends in a few weeks, that, that there is caution to, to be taken here. Date myself here uh, for a minute, but back in the 80s, there was a Christian band that I really liked, and their name was Petra, and maybe some of you who were about my age, you remember the band Petra, but during that time, they were kind of speaking out against this in the evangelical circles, how churches were so eager to find like the devil in everything, and maybe you know, you, in the church you were at, you even experienced it where you had people coming in and were playing uh, rock music backwards and you know, hearing backtracks and backmasking and, you know, and exposing the devil. 
And while I don't know, I'm not an expert in that area to know whether any of that is true or not, I'd I'd like what Petra said in one of their song lyrics about, it's called Witch Hunt, and it says, we're on another witch hunt, we're looking for evil wherever we can find it, we're off on a tangent, hope the Lord won't mind it, another witch hunt, taking a break from our gospel labor. And the point they make in this song is we can be so eager to look for evil that we miss our point, which is to lift up Jesus, to lift up the gospel, to make him known and to uh, really, really exalt him. And, and it, we can see that many people do get so fascinated with this area that everything is about demonic possession. Everything is about the devil. And so I think there's a, a balance to be had here. Um, there was a, I mean, I mean, let me just get, tell you real life, like how that sometimes we can be misled so easy. We had some friends in Dallas, and we were having something at the church, a small gathering at the church. And so we put on... Um, the movie Sleeping Beauty for some of the kids who were, you know, four, five, six years old. And the mom, uh, when she came in the room, she saw Sleeping Beauty was on the TV, and she absolutely freaked out. I mean, she totally freaked out. And she began to say how demonic this, this movie was and, and, and go on and on and on, you know. And, and, and we felt horrible because, we, you know, that was her conviction or whatever. But the point I'm making is a, a few weeks later, or a few years later, this very same woman left her faithful husband, who had been faithful in marriage, left him for another man, broke up not only her family, but broke up this other guy's family, and, and uh, sometime later they were married. And I, and I see the irony in that, how that we can find the devil in a Disney movie, but we don't see the devil in sins and decisions we make because we justify our sin by saying, this feels good to me. This feels right to me. Oh, demons, you know, that, that witch on the screen, that's definitely a demon, but yet we can live our lives for our pleasure and our, our satisfaction apart from Jesus. In some way, we justify that as not being demonic. I mean, figure it out, okay? I don't know. And so sometimes people can go way overboard on this idea of demonic forces to the point where I feel like they fail to take responsibility for their own sins and the struggles they have as, as a Christian. And so I would encourage that, that maybe you did grow up in a, or have been part in the past of a, a so-called deliverance ministry where everything was, you know, if, if somebody's angry, that's the spirit of anger. Or if they're depressed, let's cast out the spirit of depression. And everything becomes a, a, a satanic battle versus some personal responsibility in this matter. So I want to caution there and say that we do want to find a balance as we look at this passage to understand that even in the New Testament, uh, throughout, the, throughout the, uh, the, the epistles and the letters, there's no mention of how to go about casting out demons, although we see from Jesus that definitely is a possibility at times. And so well, let's don't look at like negative or simple behavior all as demonic in origin. origin. Sometimes it's just you know what, I'm in the flesh, I got angry, or whatever. And, and like I said, going back to this guy back in Dallas who I counseled with, you know, he continued to struggle. I mean, he got deliverance, but he didn't get ultimate deliverance because there's, the truth is, if, if you're honest with yourself, and for me, who meet, I meet with many people, plus I see it in myself as well, that there's some things that we struggle with that we're not going to get complete victory over in this lifetime. Some of the deliverance that we hope to get over a certain sin or a certain struggle, or in a certain relationship, is it may not happen till eternity. 
And so there's no absolute 100% deliverance all the time. Some things we just find God in the fire, in the, in the struggle of what God has allowed us to go through in that moment. And in those times, we do experience God, and we, we rest on his mercy and his grace and, and his, his presence and his comfort. And so if you find yourself there, you know, don't buy into that you have to go and get that spirit thrown out. Sometimes you just have to, that's your lot in life. God has given you that to some degree to battle with, not to be a victim to and not to lay back and say, I guess I, there's nothing I can do about it, but to fight the battle of sanctification in that area, knowing that God can deliver, but all, not always God does deliver. So extremism, fascination into the demonic can be dangerous, but we do affirm that the demonic realm definitely exists. But I want to say this, demons don't like to manifest themselves. I don't think demons like to manifest themselves. Demons would much rather be as Satan is. And, and a passage of scripture here in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15, where it talks about these false apostles. And it says, they're no wonder they're like this because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so Satan sometimes doesn't look like Satan. Evil oftentimes doesn't look like evil. Somebody can be the tool of Satan by saying with authority, you know, we just we don't believe scripture. We don't we know we don't believe this to be true. And there's people that teach in seminaries and train people for ministry who don't even believe in the authority of scripture. And if you want to know what demonic is, that's demonic. Or or are people who look through scripture and say, let's mark out the stuff that the sins that we don't really think are sins. Because we just don't, we don't think that's the case anymore. Our society has moved past those things. That's demonic. That's demonic to stand up in front of a church today and to say that sin is not sin. And, and, and in fact, maybe even rejoice or glorify that sin as something that's being appropriate or good or great. And so that's how I think demons like to manifest themselves in the greatest way is subtle as angels of light. Saying one thing but in reality being something else altogether. Because they can get a lot more done subtly than they can just full-on demonic possession of someone. So let's go to the text and look at Mark chapter 5. And as we get into this, there's so much here. And I hope that, that this is something that, that doesn't necessarily say, oh, let me apply those two or three things. But this is something that points us more and more to Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who can help us through any circumstance we encounter. So it says, they meaning Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea. We, we spent a long time in chapter 4. In chapter 4, Jesus had been out teaching, giving parables, explaining the parables to the disciples, helping them understand. He, he had spent the entire day with these mass and this crowd teaching them about God and about the coming kingdom. And then, as Mitch talked about, great job last week, talked about how the, the disciples then got onto the boat to head to the other, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that the storm came up, but where was Jesus at? And I love this. Jesus was asleep in the boat. And I'm not going to re-preach a great sermon Mitch did last week, but the truth is this really highlights Jesus' humanity. The fact that Jesus was all man and all God, 100% man, 100% God. Here he is. He's tired. He's wiped out. He's asleep on the boat. And then to highlight his divinity, the fact that he stands up and he just calms the storm. He has authority over the storms and over nature because he's the creator God. And so they arrive now eventually at the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's probably, um, it's, 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 it's dark. It's, it's probably um, been a very, like I said, a very long, long time. 
and but Jesus has a divine appointment. And what's interesting is they roll into this place, they do this ministry that we heard about, Kristen read, and then they turn around and they head back. You see, this was a divine appointment. This is something that Jesus was trying to teach us in this passage. It's very, very important. In fact, 20 verses, that's a lot of, of text to give to the story in the book of Mark. And so it's very significant. And so they came to this area, this area of the country, uh, and in this area, which um, some people in the Bible, it's kind of interesting, uh, some people look at the Bible and they say that, you know, Matthew refers to uh, it as one area and Mark refers to it as a different area, but it's all the same area. It's, it, they don't say a specific city that Jesus entered into. It's this region. When I lived in Dallas, um, if, if people were from Dallas, they wanted to know specifically what area of town you lived in. I would say, oh, they said, where do you live? I live in Lake Highlands, because that's a regional way of understanding where you live. If you open a map, you're probably not going to see Lake Highlands on the map, because that was a regional area. If it's somebody who's not from the area, where do you live? I say DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth area, a big area, right? But definitely not all Dallas proper. And then some people, you know, I live inside the loop, or I live outside the loop. And so there's a lot of ways to de- describe uh, where, this, uh, where they were, based upon who the, the audience was. And so, um, he, he, so Luke, t- I mean, I'm sorry, Mark tells us that they landed in this area and it was more than likely the top arrow where that actually Jesus was. Uh, because in, even to this day, there's an area where you can see that the cliffs kind of fall off into the sea, which is how the, you know, the pigs killed themselves there at the end of the passage. And so uh, Jesus arrives and in verse 2, when, he, when Jesus has stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and he could, no one could bind him, not even with chains. Verse 4, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in, in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out. He's cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, what did he do? He, he, he ran and he fell down before Jesus. And so picture yourself. Put your mind in the mind of the disciples here. That they'd been on the storm. They'd experienced all this chaos. This, they th- felt like they were going to die. Jesus calms the storm. They, they land on the shore. And immediately this crazy wild man comes running to them. He's got superhuman strength. He's, he's got cuts and, and scars. He's bloody because he's been cutting himself. You can't imagine like, the, the fear that these guys would have experienced and probably thinking, Jesus, what's going on here? What, what's, what's the story here? What are you trying to do here? And, and this guy is described as living in the graveyards. He's ostracized from his community. They don't have anything to do with him. He's crazy. They've tried to control him. They've tried to restrain him, but they, he can't be restrained. Uh, Satan has given him power, and he's screaming. He's cutting himself. But when he sees Jesus, he falls down, not to worship probably, but he falls down to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. He knows who Jesus is clearly because verse 7, he cries out with a loud voice and he, and he says, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? He recognized for sure who Jesus was. In fact, Jesus is only called the son of God a few times in the book of Mark. And right here, the demon declares him. He knows he's the son of God. And he says, I adjure you, I beg you. Do not torment me. So the demon, the demons in this man, they see Jesus' arrival almost as something that, that is an attack of sorts. Jesus is coming to attack because he says, don't torment me. Don't, don't, and we'll see in a minute, don't send me away. Don't torment me. 
But what I love about this passage is that Jesus saw not only, which is the central part of the story, is an opportunity to display his authority and his power, but he, but he cares about this man, a man who is made in, his image of, in the image of God, a man who is treated like a wild animal by society, understandably so, right? But Jesus understands his deep distress. Jesus wants to make a point, but he also wants to give this guy freedom. And, he, and, and, and like I said, as this encounter is over, he gets back in the boat and he goes away. So this is the point. The point is to show his authority, to show his power. But he also rescues this guy who has been totally cast out of society. And so throughout Mark, as we've looked through these stories of Jesus, Jesus, again, is just authenticating himself again and again and again. As was mentioned by Sean about singing and disconnecting ourselves from the words of songs, it's easy to disconnect ourselves from the words of Scripture. And we hear the Scripture, we read the Scripture, and we forget this, this is taking place in real time and real space. This is really, really happened. It happened. And Jesus showed up on this shore. Jesus did these miracles. And people saw him. And he was authenticating who he was. He was Christ, the Son of the living God, as Peter will tell us later on. He gets it. But Jesus is making the point that he's there to show Jesus is there to show who he is. And let me, let me just kind of step aside for a second because I think this is important for us to understand in, in the bigger scope of discipleship as a church that sometimes that we can fall into the, in, into the mistake of seeing the Bible almost like a self-help book. And many, many people do this. There's a problem or a situation that occurs. Maybe you look at a passage like this and you think, man, I'm experiencing inner conflict. I'm, I'm feeling like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, maybe even demonic oppression in my life. Let me go find some scriptures that, that deal with that. Let me look in a topical Bible and find these scriptures. Let me look at these scriptures and figure out how I can experience tranquility and, and psychological tranquility in my life. And we treat this almost like it's a self-help book. But let me say this. This is, this is critically important. We need to understand that the Bible is ultimately a storybook. Did you know that? The Bible is ultimately a storybook. It's God's story, a story of his character, his creation, his redemption of this fallen world, and his sovereign plan. And so when we read Scripture, we want to see everything from that vantage point, the vantage point of redemption, the vantage point of the gospel of Jesus and who he is and what he's come to do. And so the Bible, why it says a lot about finding inner peace for sure, there's lots of verses on peace. What it, what it says only makes sense when we see it from the vantage point of the great story of God and what he's done through Jesus and the work of Christ. And so you can't isolate and pull out little verses here and there and, and say, I mean, name this and claim it for my life. What we want to do, in fact, I was in a discipleship meeting the other day, and, and the guy used this word. He said, it's almost like a brainwashing, right? And, and, and it is. It, it's coming under the authority and lordship of Jesus in all areas of your life. And it's not something that you get in a moment. It's a lifelong process of discipleship. And so that's why we constantly hear at Grace talk about being in Scripture, knowing Scripture, reading Scripture, because it's, it's a constant seeing everything from the vantage point of God's big story of redemption. And, and our tendency is, is to look in a passage and say, where am I at in this passage? Where, how can I address my issue in this passage? 
And we immediately enter the passage with the wrong mindset. We need to enter the mindset of, Jesus, you're amazing. Every page of Scripture points to you, Jesus. Every principle looks to your wisdom, Jesus. Every promise looks to Jesus for its fulfillment. And so, that's what I want us to remember. The whole system depends upon the gospel story, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So this passage is not about us finding psychological tranquility. It's about us finding Jesus. It's about us seeing Jesus. And so kind of here's the big idea. Jesus is king of everything, and he liberates and heals those enslaved by sin because he has absolute authority over all, even the demons. Let me read that again. Jesus is king of everything, and he liberates and heals those enslaved by sin Because he has absolute authority over everything, even over demons. And so don't search Scripture to get an answer to your problem. Search Scripture to get the answer, Jesus. To know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus closely. And so I encourage us as we see this, that we do what Paul says. That we continue to put on Christ. That was Paul's words. Just put on Christ. Put on Jesus Christ in our lives. So how do we do that? By engaging the author of Scripture, not just intellectually engaging Scripture. Not just, I need to know more theology, but you need to know the Jesus who is behind the theology. We need to know Jesus Christ, and we know him through his word, but there's a big difference between just going to his word for this or answers to my problems versus going to scripture because we want to know the creator God who sent Jesus to redeem us from our sins. About this idea of putting on Christ, I love this. I was reading a book. I've been reading a book with some guys, and it's by Jerry Bridges. I've mentioned it a few weeks ago. And in this book, he talks about how he went to speak at a retreat And he spoke on the importance of putting on a Christ-like character while at the same time putting off simple and bad habits and behaviors. And he says this in the book. He says, After my message, four or five people came to, to me asking for personal help in dealing with some particular sin in their life. He says that he was... Uh, he said that was all well and good, but, he, it was, he, but it struck him that no one came asking for help in putting on Christ-like virtues. He continues, As I pondered the possibilities for this, re, this, for this, realizing that simple habits make us feel guilty and defeated, the absence, absence of Christ-like character usually doesn't give us a similar feeling and have a similar effect on us. So there's less motivation to seek change in our lives. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that everybody wants to get victory over sin because sin makes them feel bad, and we should want victory over sin. But it's, it's, it's not one or the other. It's together, but we need to also focus as equally as much, if not more, on putting on Christ. Paul says, put off and put on. You put on Christ, and in the putting on Christ, it gives perspective to the putting off the simple behaviors and, and patterns of your life. So do you want victory over that sin that's been following you around for most of your life? You put on Christ, you seek Christ, you know Christ, and then he gives perspective even in the moments where you will fail probably, and you'll fall. 
that he gives perspective, he gives his presence, and you focus on knowing him and becoming more like him. That's how sanctification happens. So let's be careful that we don't just seek out things from Scripture separate from the author of Scripture, the creator of Scripture, the writer of Scripture, the person who is about Scripture. We want to seek first, as Jesus said, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. And so this, this crazy man, this demon-possessed man, he runs to Jesus. He's proclaiming Jesus as God, and he's saying, don't torment me. And so the irony here, you know, this guy who has been tormenting everybody in his society, all of a sudden now he's the one being tormented in verse 8. And it says, for Jesus was saying to him, even as this was happening, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And so here we see the full impact of the control and the grip of demons and of Satan. And this guy uses word legion more than likely because a Roman legion was many, many soldiers, up to even 6,000 soldiers. And we don't know for sure that he had that many demons in him, but the point is made that he was possessed by multiple demons. And this guy was in, in a bad situation. His, his mind, his will, his emotions had all been destroyed and wrecked havoc on him. Here he was, he was naked, he was isolated, he was self-destructive. And in fact, Matthew tells us there were, there were two guys, two of these guys there together. But the, Mark only focuses on the one who's the most verbal, the one who who's the dialogue is with. But we see this guy, he's just under the full sway of demons. And anytime you see someone under the full sway of demons, under the full control of demons, it's just filthy, filthy living, just filthy physically, filthy morally, and the, this person's personality is possessed uh, and overwhelmed by the demon, so only the demon's personality is revealed. This guy is just, he's gone. He, he, he's shut down, and the demon is the one that's present through him. And over the last week, I was asking some different people, have you seen any, like, full-on, full, like, just full demonic possession? And uh, some different people who are in different places, I talked to Chuck here uh, in Honduras, and, and a lot of times we'll see, we'll hear from missionaries, that it'll be more, they'll encounter this more than they will other places. And I really think the reason why is because a lot of these places where you hear it's more prevalent, there, there's no very little light of the gospel. There's very little truth, and it's full of idols and full of false religions, and, and just the exposure to the kingdom of darkness, it's kind of at its wildest and craziest point. And, and, and so oftentimes that's where we've heard about these situations. And like I said, I've never, I can't definitively say I've ever encountered somebody who's full-on demonic possessed, but I have seen some pretty crazy things in my life. And my brother, who is a police officer in Washington, who isn't walking with God, he doesn't attend church, but one of the first encounters he had as a police officer early on was actually a couple of different things, but one where he had to go into a situation and arrest a guy who was just full on into, into uh, child pornography. And he said in his words, like the darkness was just so thick and heavy, so thick and heavy. And it was interesting that even in the news this last week, a judge who was sentencing a, a murder and a kidnapper um, to uh, prison for the rest of his life, he referred to him as the embodiment of evil, the embodiment of evil. And so there's a recognition even from secular society that evil exists. I, I went on a guy named Sam Harris, who's a well-known atheist who can articulate his point very well, 
And, and, I, and I was just interested, how does he explain evil in the world? Because if there's no God, and we just landed here by accident through a, a series of events over billions and billions of years, how is there evil in the world? How do we define evil even? And, and it's interesting, he said, it's just intuitive, you know what evil is. That was his answer, it's intuitive, all right? Uh, that's kind of a, a really weak answer, wouldn't you say? Because every culture that you go to has a different definition of what's evil and not, right? Or not evil. And so when you try to dismiss God and his word and try to come up with ethics and morals on your own, you're going to land short because there's no way that you can have a, a, a universal code of ethics and that it, it says this is right and this is wrong apart from God. You can't. And so even our society at some point recognizes that evil really does exist out there. And so the man in our text, he's just full of demons. He's completely repulsive. He's full of evil, uncontrollable, unlovable. He's unwelcomed by his society. And I think we can all agree it's incredible misery that he was in. And it, it was kind of interesting as I was going around and talking to people this week about Tell me, have you encountered any demonic possession, or or have you seen this? Uh, that this very this is no. I'm not making up this story. This is completely 100% accurate. I'm looking around to make sure this guy isn't here today. Okay, so this guy shows up on Tuesday at the door to the church. He and a couple other people, and he and he and he said he. I opened up and he says, "Hey, are you the priest?" I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm the pastor. Yeah, uh, you want to talk? And oftentimes people, and he was um, traditionally from Latino descent, and so a lot of times people will see the Catholic church sign on our property over there pointing the other way, and they'll think that we're the church, and they'll come here for the priest. And so I thought, uh, you know, what's, what's going on? And he's like, man, he goes, I'm under full demonic control and activity in my life. And, and I just thought, what's the odds of this happening? Here I am, I'm, I'm preaching on this on Sunday, and here is this guy coming into the office with this problem. So I say, okay, come into the office here. Let's talk. And, um, and, and I put the other two people out in the hallway, his mom and his girlfriend. And I said, tell me what's going on. He goes, I need you to come, and I need you to, to spread holy water throughout my house. I need you to, to, to get rid of the demons. There's really, really bad stuff going on here. And even while he was telling me this, I mean, he was scratching he could not stop scratching. He's like, see, I got, I got demons. I got demons in me. And I say that not to make light because as in Jesus in this situation, his heart just went out to this guy. My heart really did go out for this guy because whether demonic control or not demonic control, this guy was in a very, very bad situation. And, and, he, and he definitely was not coherent and wasn't in touch with reality at all. But I, 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 I just want to kind of walk you through biblically what I think the proper biblical way to go about handling something like this. Because the powers and forces of darkness, most fear is not holy water, and it's not putting oil above your door frames at your house. What they fear most is the name of Jesus, the authority of the Bible, and the power of the gospel. That's what they fear most. The name of Jesus, the authority of the Bible, and the power of the gospel. So here's how I responded. I took him immediately to 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. This is what it says. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And I said, do you know who Jesus is? And he muttered something about Jesus dying on the cross. He's pretty sure of that. I said, sir, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Do you confess that? 
And he's, no, and he, he turned away. He didn't want to even talk about that. So he could give some kind of general saying of who Jesus was, but he did not directly deal with that. And I said, sir, do you really want help from this? He's like, yes, I do. I want help. I want help. I said, will you repent of your sins? Will you repent of your sins right now? And I begin to name some things that more than likely he was involved with and into, and he affirmed he was, but he wouldn't repent of those things. He's like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not ready for that. And so what I did, I said, can we pray together right now? Can we pray? And I prayed for him. And I didn't pray to throw out any demons. I didn't see anything out the window and go away. But the truth is, I prayed that this man would see the gospel, see Jesus. And I lifted up Jesus. And you know what I told him then? I gave him a Bible. I said, I need, I need to take this Bible. And I said, I would love to meet you with you again tomorrow. But before I will do that, you must go to the ER and get checked out. Right? I said, come back. If you've gone to the ER tomorrow, come back and see me. Otherwise, don't come back tomorrow. And he assured me that he would go to the ER. And to, to, and, but I never saw him the next day. He didn't come back. So the truth is, we don't know sometimes. You know, I, I talked to some friends in, in law enforcement and somebody else who knew this had run across this guy, and, and he was well-known as a drug addict, and, which I suspected from the beginning. Sure, there was demonic activity, right? I mean, I mean, how can you deny that? So I'm not discounting that. But all I'm saying is, as we approach these situations, we see as we know Scripture and we read through the epistles and we read through the New Testament, we see that there's no teaching on, okay, here's how you throw a demon out, or here's how you overcome the forces of darkness, step one, two, and three. It's about lifting Jesus up. It's exalting Jesus, giving the gospel. And so this man, he's encountering Jesus himself. He's encountering the truth himself, standing in front of him. And he acknowledges that. And he says, don't send me out of the country. What is that about? Don't send me out of the country. Well, what he's saying is, in, in Luke, uh, it, it gives clarification to this. He begged him, in, in Luke's account, not to send him out and depart into, send him to the abyss. And what is the abyss? The abyss is something that's used four times in Revelation. It's referred to as the bottomless pit. It's a place where demons are under temporary containment until they are cast into the lake of fire at the end of time. And I don't understand, and I can't tell you everything about this, where, how this works and how demons go, and they, they're out and they're back in. I don't understand that. That's not for me maybe to know all the answers to that at this point. One day we will understand this fully, but the truth is he didn't want to go there. This was a bad place. He didn't want to go. So what was the option? He, he asked, and, I, and this makes, look, I'm standing up here, but I'm telling you, it makes no sense to me why that he wouldn't want to go into pigs. I don't get that, right? Why that's the case, I'll give you some possible explanations in a second. I don't fully understand it, okay? I'll admit that right off the bat. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and the, the, the demons begged him, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. And so Jesus gives permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered into the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, they rushed over the steep bank and went down into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And so we see what happened. Jesus complied to the man's request. He gave them the demon, or to the demon's request and gave permission to transfer into the pigs. So how does a demon possess an animal? Does the demons possess animals? 
that's probably a better question for you pet lovers than me. I, you know, I've seen some animals I feel like maybe demonic possessed, but I don't know. I don't know it, how that happens and what that's about. Why do the pigs kill themselves? That's a great question as well. I read one commentator I thought, I thought made a lot of sense on this area. Listen to what he said. He said, I'm convinced that when the man was cutting himself with stones, the demons in him were driving him to commit suicide. The judgment is supported by what happens next. Then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering 2,000, rushed down the banks and drowned. And so, so he says the volition, the willpower of, of a human being made in the image of God is stronger than that of the animals. When, uh, the, what legion could not do, make the man do could easily be accomplished in the large herd of pigs. The pigs could not withstanding the will of legion, and they were driven to their deaths. Makes sense, right? That makes sense. Because what? If this guy had killed himself, his fate was eternally sealed, right? And over the years, as a youth pastor, many years, and I know those who work with student ministries, you see this. You see students who cut themselves. People who cut themselves. Even adults cut themselves. And while I could give you a, a lot of reasons psychologically for that to be happening and how that, you know, it's the pain and escaping and those type of things. The truth is that maybe it could be a demonic thing as well that says, you know what, you're better dead. And there's that volition, that willpower not to actually kill yourself, but to just do enough to thinking you're relieving that anxiety and that pain and that pressure. But if you do have a student who, who does that, I think it's something you need to really, really deal with. While many people say it's not necessarily leading to suicide, it rarely does. It's still something serious. And Chris Beam, who is the lead counselor at Samaritan Counseling Center, goes to church here. He has other counselors on staff. I think that's something that really would merit going in and being part of Christian counseling, get some help in that situation. So this guy, he, he's cutting himself. And so possibly that's why that was going on, that he went to, why the demons went to the pigs. And why did Jesus allow them to enter the pigs and, and the, the pigs to die? Here's a great explanation for that, possibly. It shows what Satan's real purpose is. What does Scripture say Satan's purpose is? To steal, to kill, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan wants to do to us. And stealing, killing, and destroying doesn't always mean you're dead, but it definitely means that you don't love Jesus. You don't care about Jesus. You have a form of godliness. You're moral. You're righteous. You're good. You're a pillar of the community. But you don't really believe Jesus is Jesus, is God, come in the flesh, died on the cross, gave his life for us. Satan wants you to keep believing that. He does. He wants you to keep believing the lies that none of that really is serious. It means anything. But what happens is when we really see Jesus, we really encounter him, something really starts changing in our lives. We begin to have a hunger for his word. And, and look, I'm, I'm not here to make you feel guilty for years. I opened my Bible to read, and my mom would wake me up in the morning with a deal. If I read my Bible, then she would make my bed, all right? I thought it was a pretty good deal. And so I would open my Bible, and I would start reading, you know, and I would be, fall asleep, and I'd wake up and three verses later. And that was pretty much my life throughout middle school and high school, you know. that I got nothing, honestly, from reading Scripture. 
I've given you, and I don't have time today, but I've given you many, many things that will help a study Bible. There's so many resources out there. I can give you specific ones if you ask me afterwards. But the truth is, when you really know and see Jesus, you begin to have a hunger for his word. You begin to want to know his word. And maybe you're not a great reader. Maybe reading isn't your thing. Some people listen to Scripture. They listen as they drive, and they listen as they work. That's okay. Just, just be in the Word. Be about the Word. So in contrast to Satan, who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus comes to give life. He's the Savior. He's the liberator. Look at what happens in verses 14 through 16. The herdsmen fled and told, this, uh, told it to the city and the countryside. The people came out to see what happened. And what did they do? They embraced Jesus? No, they saw the guy sitting there. He had been delivered from the demons, but yet they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. What did they do? They, they said, Jesus, you need to get out of here. We don't want you in our area. We don't want you around here. So here's this guy. is, is a beautiful example of a new creation in Christ, what Christ can do. But they begged Jesus, verse 17, just to depart from their region. They're scared to death of it. And what Jesus does, verse 18, he and his guys hop back in their boats and the man with the possessed spirit, that had the possessed spirits, what did he do? He begged them to come. Please, Jesus, let me just come with you. Let me be with you. Let me be one of your inner circle disciples. But Jesus says, no, I want you to just go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy upon you. What I love is, unlike many of us, this man didn't argue with Jesus he didn't complain. He didn't refuse his assignment. He accepted his marching orders, and he went to business, went to work, telling people in that Gentile area about Jesus Christ. And so we look at a story like this, and we think, you know, I don't really have that kind of story to tell. I, you know, my life has been pretty bland compared to this. You do. Because you know what? Your story isn't about you. Your story is about Jesus. And if you, we really understand that we were destined for eternal separation because of our sin, separate us from God, we have a lot to brag on about Jesus, don't we? But see, when you think you're okay, you're pretty good, what's there to brag about? Yeah, Jesus came alongside me, but I did most of the heavy lifting, right? I'm, I'm doing the moral stuff. I'm doing the good stuff. But when you understand that your sin has completely and utterly separated you from a holy God who is completely righteous and who would be within his, completely within his rights to send all of us to hell for eternity, he made a way for us through Jesus Christ. And so the man went away and he proclaimed throughout the whole Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And it says everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. He told Jesus is amazing. That's what he told. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is awesome. You can do that. I don't care how little theology you know. I don't care. In fact, probably maybe oftentimes when we get so much theology, we fail to just remember Jesus is awesome. Seems a little simple, right? Jesus is amazing. Jesus changes lives for eternity. Everybody can do that. Because when you realize what Jesus has done, has done in your life, regardless of how good or bad you are, Jesus is amazing. It's amazing.